Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. SoupX, the Startup Expo, North America's premier startup conference, is March 6th and 7th, 2017, in sunny Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Affordably priced, SoupX is a two-day international conference featuring workshops, panels, speeches, a $50,000 startup competition, and over 100 exhibitors. For more information, go to sup-x.org. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Hampus Jacobson. He's an entrepreneur and angel investor. Hampus, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Yeah, I'm excited to have you uh, back on the show. And you're in Sweden and I'm in Canada. And I love the fact that we can we can do this across the globe, right? And so maybe before we kind of dive into things, let's kind of give uh, a quick overview of yourself. Um, we I think if people want to get a bigger, longer kind of intro of yourself, they can reference the radio show, uh, the previous radio show we did. So maybe do you want to kind of give a quick bio of yourself and kind of your your career as well? Yeah. Yeah. So so actually one thing that it's I, I rarely I think it's smart that people start with I was born, but okay. I actually think I will slightly because I think that sure. it's, it's very re- relevant. It's like I'm the I'm the fourth child. I have okay. three older brothers and they're eight, nine and 11 years older than I am. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I kind of grew up like, you know, I have five parents. And I think that like I went to, to kind of like 10 years of education of, of empathy and like uh, trying to figure out what drives people. Because like, you know, if you have a younger brother uh, or if you're if you have an older brother, you know, the dynamics is that or, or a sibling uh, like you want to sit at the table when they're playing role playing games. You know, you want to be up night at late night with them. You want to watch a movie they're watching. And like I had this 10 year education uh, of, of doing that, like, you know, pretty much every day. So I think that shaped me in so many ways. And it shaped me in the sense that I'm extremely interested in how people work. Like I really love reading people, I love uh, interviewing people, I love recruiting people. Um, I also am very interested in like sales and marketing because essentially it's like a lot of the same dynamics. Sure. I'm very interested in user interface design because it's a lot of the same dynamics. Like what are, what are people seeing, what are people thinking? And um, when I went, started going to, was planning at university, I was thinking like I want to study more of this. Like sure. where do you do that? And I was looking into like, you know, psychology, anthropology, and I found a lot of them being, you know, again, I had 10 years of education of this. So like with 10 years of education, I looked at universities like, no, I'm not going to take this. This looks ridiculous. It's like, <laughs> how do people work under stress? It's like, I've seen that, you know, I've seen that a lot of times. Uh, it's like a group dynamics. I've done it. Uh, but then I looked at computer science. I was like, yeah, and like, you know, simulation, artificial intelligence. I was like, yeah, that sounds pretty interesting. Like maybe, you know, this is like feels ridiculous sure. looking back now i mean like my, my, my master's in control theory and ai which is now it's super fashionable back then it, it wasn't as fashionable but it was really i was like very interesting i did it because i'm super interested in people and during my education i i, I like um uh, i really wanted to work abroad uh because i felt that you know i'm gonna be you know stuck in a swedish mindset i'm i'm, I'm a swede um and i really want to have a more international mindset sure and and I've been traveling a lot with my with my, my parents and our siblings, but of course, working in another country is very different. So I ended up uh, applying for an internship and doing the things I am best at, which is human engineering. So I said, sadly, I'm at the university in Sweden, and we have to have a, do an internship because otherwise we can't get our exam, which is just totally a lie. Uh, and, and, <laughs> I love that. 
what do you have to do? Like, yeah. um, and this French company, um, which is like one of the biggest credit card companies in the world, they were just like, yeah, sure. Do you know, you know, A11 assembler and, and like uh, smart cards? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm a computer science student. I'm like, oh, whoa, that's amazing. Do you know crypto? A bit, actually. And they were like, oh, super cool. Love to have you. I had no idea what they were talking about. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like in panic studying the, the weeks before I was going there. And I spent like three months in France. And the summer after, I went went to London and and worked there and with another completely different thing. And then I worked in Munich and in Germany. And I think that what was really nice for me there is like I saw these different cultures and learned so much because like in France, I was the applied guy. Right. In in Germany, I was the theoretical guy. Okay. And in London, it was like it was in London, it was like more uh, more, more like more like Sweden. It was more like what I actually am. Um, but one of the things that struck me when I was in London, because I was in London like in the you know, heydays of the bubble, it was like sure. really going up, really amazing, before pre-bubble. And I really felt that this is an amazing time because like I'm a computer science person, but I love creating stuff. And it was amazing because people came to this company I worked worked at and said like, we want to build, uh, we will build XYZ and can you build it? And they were like, the company turned around and was like, yeah, if you give us a million pounds. And they were like, yeah, sure. And I just felt, wow, you can be so, and it was not after the money. It was like, it was such a creative process of being able to create miracles because we built robots and like installations and everything so i came back to sweden and said like to one of my best friends it's like i'd love to do this what if we could like build art and get paid to build art and uh you know one thing led to another stumbled into a third person and suddenly there was a person saying hey we'd love to give you sixty thousand dollars uh to build this huge art installation in six months and we were like Whoa, that's amazing! That's you know, and knowing now, I would say for art, that is like I mean, immense amount of money. Totally. So we we started a company, and uh, the only thing when you start a company is to register like a Swedish incorporated. You needed, uh, you need like seventeen seventeen thousand okay. dollars, and like we were like we were two or three guys, like you know, university. We didn't have seventeen thousand um, dollars, so we just started talking to some other friends. Like we're doing this thing, you know, we could start a company together. We're not going to work together, but like if you need a company and we need a company, we can do this. And we like close friends. Sure. So what happened is six of us started, just pooled our money and started a company together, like an ink. Um, uh, and then like we had that and we started off with like three or five different projects, like very, like one died day two, it doesn't matter because that was a hobby project. We ended up with, like three projects that were paying money and then deliver those projects. And then we sat there going like, and we were like, some of us were in the university, some of us started working a bit. And that was really fun. Those six months were really amazing. Sure. So we just felt we really like, continue doing this. This is like, you know. This is like almost like an after-school thing, and you're hanging out with your friends and doing super fun stuff. Like, why can't life be like this? And then, just completely out of the blue, uh, like a friend called us up from one of the biggest phone manufacturers and asked us to help them out. And again, one thing, thing led to another. We stumbled in, and the company ended up being 180 people. And uh, in eight years later, we were acquired by BlackBerry for 150 million. And that year, we were in 13% of all the world's phones from Motorola, Samsung, and Nokia and Sony Ericsson and we designed Android for Google and it was like you know our business plan was learn and have fun yeah, and apparently yeah. that was a really great plan um, so that was like the first part of my career okay yeah okay mm-hmm. no that that's that's fascinating to me and like I know we kind of covered in the, the radio show kind of more in depth with Blackberry and I, I do want to cover a little bit about your your time at Google because that's mm-hmm. such a fascinating story to me and I think um, well, I'll let you tell it. Kind of maybe give me a, give a quick overview of your time at, or like how you worked with Google. Yeah, it was it was really fascinating. So it was like 2006. We were at Google. Uh, I don't actually know how we got that meeting. Like we were at Google in 2006, and we were like 
we were kind of touring the valley because a lot of the San Francisco companies were like, we were at Yahoo, we were at Google, we were at um, um, uh, Real Networks, like a lot of different big media companies and, and met them. And we're thinking about a lot of these people, we're thinking about building phones. So we're kind of just going around meeting them and showing what we could do and say like, hey, if you want to build mobile phones, we're the go-to people. We have this product, you can use Taiwanese companies and Chinese companies to build phones and we can create the experience and you can use the product to do this and that. And uh, we met Google, they had a crazy amount of questions, nothing really happened. We met Apple, a crazy amount of questions, nothing really happened. You know, none of them were building phones, but it was obvious that the amount of questions they were asking us was like something was fishy. Sure. And, and then suddenly, like in 2007, then Google called it, called it an over. It was Andy Rubin, the guy who ran Android, uh, and just called me up from nowhere and just said, like, we'd love you to come here and design Android for us. And like my answer was like, yeah, we're a tech company, we're a product company, we can license our product. And it was like, no, come on, cut the crap. Like, uh, <laughs> I come here and, and design Android for me. It was really, I, I really liked working with Android. It's so funny because like, I was like, what? Um, uh, and I gave him a couple of recommendations saying, these companies are really great. You should really work with those. Those are like partners of ours. They're really great design companies. And he pretty much hung up the phone. And I was like, okay, like apparently not. Like we had been called by Russian oligarchs and everything before. So I was like, yeah. You, know, sure. you lost one, like, whatever. And then he called me the day after, like, hey, my name is Andrew Rubin. I was like, yeah, I recognize you, Andy. <laughs> and he was like, yeah. And he was like, yeah, I'm calling today because I'm going to ask you if you want to, like, come to me and help me design Android. And this was, like, it, it, four days. And the fourth day, I was like, you're going to realize that we're going to charge you, like, you know, $500 an hour. He was just like, we're Google. We print money for business. That's what we do. Sure. Like, just come over on Monday and we'll just charge, start charging me $500 an hour. I was like, okay, interesting. Um, so we came over like three uh, three people and spent two weeks at Google, and we re- actually really didn't think we were gonna we we're gonna stay. We thought that it was kind of, and I think it it also is based on again calling going back to the fact that I'm like the fourth child. Sure. Like being the way I grew up was like you know if you have three older siblings and they're so much older, you come home with your really great drawing you've done in school and put it on the fridge, and next to it is your brother's, and it's a, and it's like he's eight years older. Yours looks like crap. Sure. Uh, but then your parents tell you, oh, we love you anyhow, and it's really good. <laughs> and I think that, like, so I grew up with, like, massive founders imposter syndrome. I really grew up with, like, and I didn't know that back then, but now I know that I always grew up, like, I always believed I have no clue. And for some reason, people, like, believe me, and I'm just waiting for them to figure out that I have no clue. You, you know what? That's, that's actually really interesting that you say that because I feel the exact same way. Like, yeah. that's like, you couldn't have said it better, right? It's the I feel the same feeling. way still. Yeah. I still yeah. say, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm in, I'm a, I was at a, uh, yeah, I mean, there are so many ways where it's like, I'm in events where it's like, soon somebody's going to say, why, why is that guy here? That's and so it's funny. like, I really expected but, it to happen. And the crazy thing is, is like, you've been extremely successful in your career, right? At, at least in a lot of people's eyes, right? Like, it, it's, it's pretty hard to argue that you haven't been successful, right? And so, but... That kind of is a good segue into kind of what we want to talk about today. And I know you you created a startup and you recently decided to um, shut down that startup. And, yep. you know, I, I love people like yourself that are willing and want to talk about kind of why they made the decision to actually, you know, kind of shut her down. And so yeah. do you maybe want to kind of talk about why you created it, what the startup was, and then kind of why you decided to... Yep. And Absolutely. So, so, so after BlackBerry, so then I worked two years at BlackBerry, and then after BlackBerry, so we're at 2012. 2012, I started this company, and it was really like I drew a sketch of like what do I want to learn, sure. and there were like three things I wanted to learn. 
So um, I was like, wrote them out a note, and I like think a lot about them. And then I started talking to my old CTO at like uh, my co-founder, and we bumped into a third guy, and we started talking more about it. And felt like ah, we're going to create this. And like we started out by wanting to like visualize information and make sense of it. We did that for three months, and we had like a very rigorous way of testing that it was going to work. And after three months, we figured out it's not going to work. We pivoted and became another thing. Did that for two months. Pivoted and became a third thing. And then after one more half a pivot, we were like, yeah, this is it. And then we had a team of five people, like one guy had left, you know, it was like back and forth. And we like, that was like, like the first seven months, mm -hmm. I would say was just like complete like discovery. We had no clue what we were doing. Um, and I think that that is, that was a, a very nice, it was a very nice experience, but also like, I think for the people who, the guy that joined early, I think he didn't understand that that's what a startup is like. Uh, he, okay. I think he a lot of times said the reason he left was actually he said that I left because I couldn't stand being at a party and people asked me like he left a really amazing job because he wanted to leave that job and he met us and he joined joined the startup early on and he said that the hardest thing was like he met old colleagues and they were like hey what are you doing nowadays and he was like stuttering trying to explain it and sounded like you know a, a drunk teenager in love <laughs> and they were like what are you doing and he couldn't really explain it and he just like I can handle anything, but I can't handle not being able to say what I do. So, like, I have to, I have to leave, and I feel that that's when I'm thriving, like because sure. that's like because that's when the founders and prostrate syndrome is in sync, at least. So it's yeah, like yeah, oh, yeah. I don't know what I'm doing, and that's like the way it's. That's in. amazing. Um, but then, like, we came into this thing, we started building it, we raced around, raised one point, uh, like, we raised about one point two million dollars, um, started building a team, um, like, ramped up, started getting really nice customers. We had like Evernote, Hootsuite, uh, LinkedIn, uh, Intercom, a lot of huge, big uh, West, West Coast uh, tech companies, really, really interesting. But then we came to a point where I think the problem was that, um, so, so I think that the problem I think is that there were like, we were aiming for a certain product and I think that there were two kind of products that, that could have been built. Uh, and it, this, so this was like a predicted, what we were building was like a product that gave you recommendations. So it gave users recommendations what you do next. And it was in the business context, so not like a consumer product. But what we found out was that, so like there were two things that people wanted. Uh, either a thing, so it was the first thing we started with was for salespeople. And people wanted one of two things. The most simple basic thing that they could pay like whatever, $5 a month for, which essentially like logged emails and synced calendars and stuff, like plumbing. And it was more like, ah, so we don't have to do it because it saves some time. Like, you know, an hour here, an hour there, whatever. Sure. Or they wanted the other thing, which was like, we don't want salespeople. Can we get a software that just do, does sales magically, AI, la, la, la. And the problem is we were in the middle, which was like, we were like, we were very, like, what I call it, we were, we were trying to solve an icky problem. Like, we were trying to solve a people problem. We were like, so you need a process to do this. What is your process? And people were like, um, yeah, we don't really have a good process. We're like, well, maybe you need to get a process first. It's not like our software will magically solve it. You know, it's like if you're a logistics company and you have no clue how to like, you know, think about how boxes are shipped, you can't buy a software that does that. You have to like think through the process first. If you're an HR manager and they're going to do like coaching meetings, there's no software that's just going to make you a great coach. You still have to like, you know, think about how people work. Sure, um, totally. So yeah. we had like these two different client clients. We had some clients came in and said like, can't you just like replace our salespeople? And we had some clients said, can you just like, you know, just like log a meeting or whatever. And we really felt stuck in the middle because we, of course, we were not magical. And we were like, the thing is, if we could have gone and said, let's raise $20 million and be magical. But we're, we're Scandinavian. So we were like, hey, like, it's not going to work. 
And we were we're very ambitious. So like we didn't want us to do something which is like, well, we can build like a one, two, three million annual re- re- recurring revenue kind of company. We want to build like a you know hundred million dollar re- um, re- revenue company. So we kind of kind of get stuck in the middle. And so that was one part of it. The other part of it was that we really we were really in love with the problem really early on. But then suddenly we got into like when we were at the fourth year, we were really feeling that we started like resenting the whole markets. We're really feeling that, you know, the problem we were trying to solve, it felt like we were, you know, it, it, the analogy is not perfect, but like, you know, if you start by like working like with universities or something and university students and it feels really great and then suddenly you find out that it's the brats using your product and they're using it to brag, you're like, yeah, this is not like what I started the company for. Like I started this company to empower people and now suddenly we have brats bragging with it. And it's like, that was our, I mean, our customers were nice, everything was great, but you know, like, you kind of lost the, the love for it. It felt sure. like, yeah. Um, and I think that those two things started colliding more and more. When we felt like the internal emotional thing of getting up in the morning and being super passionate. Uh, and the other part of it was like the, like how much we needed to like, you know, be ambitious or even lie um, to actually be ambitious enough. And that dissonance really started to eat on us. Okay. And I think that one of the best litmus tests we found for it was that we just stopped fighting. Um, it really felt like more and more every month that, that passed, we were like, oh, these guys are buying, but they want that kind of integration. And people were like, yeah, no problem. Or like, oh, that feature is going to be delayed two weeks. And we're like, okay, you know, but that's okay. I mean, it's like, you know, it's life's hard. It's like better do it right. And, and I think that like when I started feeling that, um, first I was relieved, you know, it's great. In the evenings, you can like you know you can do other stuff. You don't have to like have all these conversations with your co-founders and like fight with them, and you don't have to stay up till one to write the last email and it's like, hey, I wrote the last email. When they wake up in the morning, they're like, ah, shit, you stayed up late. And wrote the email. <laughs> uh, you don't have to do all those stupid things. Um, but what happened also is like you know you go to work and sort of hang out with your colleagues and have a good time, and you really sort of feel like, like have we lost passion? Have we lost ambition for this? And when you and when I when I realized that, like then I really felt. We shouldn't be doing this because I think that the most precious thing, like when you're starting a company, is I really believe that we're in a time right now and like in this world we're living in, um, like you can do anything you want in life. Sure. You know, like you can really like if you want to be a, a math professor, you, you could like you could. It's yeah. like you know, it's going to take a couple of years. It's good if you want to. It's like yes, maybe it's hard to get a Nobel Prize, but like you can start working on it. Sure. If you want to run a podcast, go ahead. Yeah. If you want an interior designer, go ahead. It's like. And if, that is an extremely privileged world. And I think that what, what, what I really believe in is that, like, you know, you should play as if you only have one life left. It's yeah. like, you know, when you're, you know, when you're playing a computer game, it's like, you know, this is the last life. It's like, you know, don't, don't mess around with this. When you have that last life, you start, like, thinking through what you're doing. You're not getting, becoming risk-averse necessarily because then you can never win the game. But you start to think through your strategies. And I think that we came into that point just going, like, why are we doing this? We're wasting the most precious asset we have, which is like our life. Sure. And this, and, and so we were. I was really starting to doubt the whole thing. Okay, we had, you know, we had plenty of money in the bank. We had investors that really liked us. We had plenty of new investors that talked to us constantly. But I was really feeling like if we raise another round, we kind of have to, you know, tell all these investors, yeah, we're going to make it, and we have to be so positive about this for another like two years to give it a like true chance. Sure. That I had even a problem of being positive, like in a two-month perspective. Oh, wow. And I'm a very, very positive person. So, like, I had no problem at all, like, being positive in a meeting. But I was, like, thinking through it. I felt like we stopped caring, really, really. Got you. 
So I just started like, you know, I had a meeting with my co-founders and they were like, yeah, I really felt the same. And then we brought in all the employees um, and just said like, like, you know, if we would do this, like if we would just, you know, pull the brakes, what would you think? And the only thing that came out that people were really panicking about, there were two things. There was like one, all the customers that are using it right now, we can't just let them go. It's like they're going to be horrified. Sure. Two, this team. Like we're a really nice group of people. Like we can't just, you know, we're going to work together. Sure. So then we said, okay, so let's just talk to the, like I'll, I'll talk to the board, talk to the owners, like the, the investors, and just say, this is the time to go to to do like some kind of exit. Like let's go sell what we built because it's ex- amazing what we build. People are really impressed. We have good customers. And then, um, I mean, I used to run M&A. Uh, so like it's very easy to get in contact with people. Sure. Uh, I talked to like the, the who's who, like 15 most, like, you know, kind of the obvious acquirers for the things that we do. And a lot of the, I mean, all the way from like, you know, the Airbnbs to, to whatever, to the Salesforce. Sure. And, and like there were two companies that were like, yeah, let's go and acquire you. Uh, and the other ones were like, mm, bad fit, you're like, we got to move or like bad timing or whatever. And uh, one of them was acquired by a very, very, very big other company. Uh, they were like, yeah, we're interested, but can you just wait four more weeks? And then they were acquired by a, a behemoth and like, oh, that's why I wanted to wait. Uh, um, okay. but then, so we had like one horse left that was like, we really want to do this and, uh, started the acquisition process and, you know, they booked, like we did everything and like booked the tickets to meet the founder for the final meeting for the onboarding. They had not, you know, we had given the price, everything in terms, we have not, nothing signed. It was like still discussion. We're going to have the like meeting with the founder and talk to their founder. And they called us up uh, like on the, the Friday their morning and we're like, when are you arriving? Because like we're booking the meeting, he's gonna come in, you know, if you're like, half an hour late, it's not gonna be a meeting. And we're like, yeah, come on, we've got the tickets, we're gonna be one hour in advance, we're gonna, no problem. Cool, 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 great. And then they called us their evening, or their afternoon, my evening, and called and just said, I'm sorry. Like we're, we're this is not gonna happen, I'm sorry. Like we're at a strategy meeting, it's like, you know, I, I didn't know of the strategy meeting, but this is, we're not going to acquire it. And we understood that. We were like, in one way, we were, of course, like, really unsatisfied. It sure. felt really bad. But another way, it felt really great because it felt like we'd really, you know, given it a shot. Like, we talked to 15 companies. We found two good candidates, had good discussions with them. And at the same time, I think the team, they had kind of like, okay, we're going to give this three weeks. I'm not going to think about my life and my future now for, for three weeks. I'm just try to work, you know. Like chain, you know, go in and update my LinkedIn profile or whatever. Yeah. Um, and but I'm gonna, I'm not gonna think about like I'm gonna kind have expectations. And when these guys pulled out, it was like, okay, it's over. So what do we do? So what we then did is that we booked, we booked a whole week with a team. And like first of all, like we had a quick pre meeting and just said like it's over. Like let you go and find a job. Uh, like everybody will help everybody. We'll write it like a spreadsheet where everybody want to go and everybody will just help out with contacts and everything. Right. So it was like me and the VP engineering, we're going to stay and we're going to like, you know, package this thing and see if somebody wants the assets or whatever, just dismantle it. And yeah, cool. And then, uh, okay. So then we had a meeting Monday through Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, like Monday we were just like, um, like what did you learn? during these years like just talk about what you learned sure. and like everybody just had like a really long like journal experience they like, talked about they learn people like filled in like we had a lot of discussions and talked a lot about like you know why we failed and document that really well and like felt like we like packaged all of these things the second day 
we owned like we had so that was that was a great day. You know, everybody felt like, yeah, that's good. And we did that. Oh, why did you do that? Oh, I remember. Like we should have had that, shouldn't have had that test environment. That's a great thing to think about. The next thing we're building, whatever. Tuesday, uh, second day, like everybody had prepared, uh, like what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses for everyone else in the team? So we just sat down and the was conversation was like, John, like, you know, I you know that we've had all difficulties and everything, but like for your next job, you gotta remember that you have this thing when you do this, which is an amazing thing when you do it, but the problem is that it makes me feel really uncertain because I feel that I have to be responsible for blah, blah, blah. Oh, and when I become uncertain, then I start to be nagging you, and then like you get pissed off. And and that's another thing. Number two, you're another bad thing you're doing is blah, blah, blah. But the good things you're doing is blah, blah, blah. And the amazing thing is like, you know, everybody gave each other feedbacks on strengths and weaknesses. That's amazing, actually. It was really amazing. Like, you know, eight group of people like constantly hugging and crying uh, for a whole day. Uh, and really, really great. And people like filling in. It's like, oh, like I feel exactly the same. Like I don't want the attention. I just want to say I feel exactly the same. It's like, oh, that's really great. And all the focus was like building you for your next job. Interesting. And, and then like third day, we did like a quick exercise, which is like, what am I grateful for? And then like, what 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 am I going to do now? Like, what's my future, personal future? So everybody just did like very short. This is what I'm grateful for that happened. And then like, um, what happens to me next is I'm going to do this right now. And like one went to Apple, one went to Y Combinator company, one went to a Sequoia founded uh, founded company. Um, who else? Uh, where are the other guys? One went to super well financed company, moved away. One went to uh, yeah, super cool other startup. One guy founded his own startup. Um, so it's like you know everybody just dispersed super quickly. Sure. Uh, and then me and my my one of my co-founders, the VP engineering, we we packaged the product, and we're like, the plan was kind of like to keep it alive to a certain date. Um, and then just like, you know, we've emailed all the users and we're just gonna package it, terminate it, and then hand out the money to investors. But then in the midst of nowhere, like customers started contacting us and saying, hey, you know, I could leave my job. Like, you know, I'd leave my job and start a company and just buy our product. And we had a, like five different people did that. And wow. most of them, yeah, but some of them were like, I'll give you a dollar. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, but then, like, one of them was truly like, "Yeah, well, you know, we want to buy it." So it ended up being a company buying buying the buying the software, and we're like delivered to them, and it's not not publicly released yet. But it was sure it was a really interesting experience too. Actually, going through the whole process of actually handing it over, and the only reason we handed it over, which is really interesting, was really because you know it felt like we had a lot of stuff, we built a lot of value, and it felt that that was sad that just went. You know that we threw it out financially. You know, if we kind of turned off the lights earlier, maybe made more sense. All the legal fees of the transaction. But I think at the end of the day, like we were super happy. We created a great relationship with another company. Had a lot of good time with them. They flew here to Sweden. You know, did integration. Hung out with them a lot. Got to learn them. Like you know, get to know those guys. Um, that was fun. And that's that's where like where we ended. That yeah, that's interesting. That that's actually quite quite an amazing story, right? Like you. Obviously, probably didn't think that you would end up selling to a customer. No. So, is it back up online now as a as the same brand or a different brand or Dif- you can't different say brand? It? Okay. Different brand. Okay. They've integrated and they're actually selling it. Um, okay. And they've like, reskinned the product and everything else. They had a product which, like, not really similar, but like in the in the bigger scheme of things, it was similar. Oh, okay. Um, so for them, it was a great boost. Um, and one of the other very fascinating things that happened is like I've really consistently throughout the whole process like blogged about this. 
like you know yeah. very very detailed like why did we fail very detailed like how do we go through this um process of like terminating the company and like talking to each other and all of these things and what happened when i posted the first blog post the first blog post was one of those like you know the web like landing page change was like it's over and like quick description read more here sure. and then people went to the blog and we really explained like this is this is what we've done over the years these are the pivots and everything and this is like why it doesn't work second blog post was like fundamentals like much looking into like technology and everything and like how it was built and what we do wrong process wise that post the five biggest kind of co-opetition players like you know people were like are they competition or are they whatever what are they um they contacted me and like wanted to talk really yeah and the fascinating thing is like some of them had you know looking at their team page was like if i can have this team i can do anything Ah, interesting yeah, the most scary one was like, um, well, some of them called me up and were like, hey, we'd like to acquire you, you know, whatever. But like four out of five, they really, like especially this one with the amazing team page, they called me up and I was like, we want to learn everything about like what happened, if you can share. Of course, like I'm happy to share. Like I've done the same call to other people that folded or got acquired. Sure. Um, so like we had this conf- web conf when I was like, I called in, three founders at a own table. I was like, Hey, you guys, you're the stars. So I was like, you know, I'm, your team is amazing. And we're like, stop praising me, man. And we're like, yeah, sorry. Like, I just wanted, like, kudos, guys. You've been amazing, amazing at recruitment. The call started with it. Like, one of the founders almost broke down. Really? And one of the other founders, yeah, they were like, wow. we have no clue what we're doing. And, like, we felt you guys knew what you were doing. Interesting. And I was like, hey, on your webpage, it looks like you're killing it. And they just said, like, yeah, but how are you going to write your webpage honestly? Like, should you write on a web page? We don't really want what we're doing, but we're really trying hard. Nobody will, <laughs> nobody will invest. You know, nobody will, nobody will work for you. You know, no customer will sign agreement. Exactly. So I was like, but it looks. I mean, you can't go around singing like Lego hymn and going like, you know, everything is awesome, and then just one day you're like, it's over. Uh, and then like they, they were really saying, yeah, this is you know, this is life, and that's how horrible it is, and we're being so dishonest with each other. And like that's why when somebody finally say they they're folding, then everybody just runs to them like you think like vultures, but actually like more like just trying to learn like no 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 you don't die come on we're also gonna die, which is also like was a really weird experience really understanding the world we're building where it's like every building everybody's like wearing this like you know very non empathic very like non vulnerable way of like saying that they're best and they're so clueless so clueless. For multiple reasons, imposter syndrome, but also like you know, just like you know, putting up an image. Sure. No, that that's amazing. So I'm curious though, why did you decide to post and you know and put it this stuff online? Because I think a lot of people wouldn't do that. Yeah, for me, it was more like I think that I like my I have like the only metric that I like if I look at like year after year or whatever it's like if I look at like the if I look at what the metric I live life by okay uh it's like you know I think I I guess everybody doesn't maybe have a metric maybe it's just I'm a I'm like you know I I may be a weirdo but I really have a metric and my metric is like learning sure Uh, and like I I mean I want to look back and think about stuff I did which I didn't understand what I was doing and now I understand it and so for me like writing about it was a really great way of like really trying to kind of you know tell the story so that I actually learned. And there's this technique called Fein- the Feynman technique, which Richard Feynman did, which is like if you're going to tell me how quantum physics works, I'm going to sit in there and listen to you and like, whoa, I get it. And then I'm going to turn around and tell it to somebody. I, I can actually tell it to somebody without actually getting it, because like I can retell some of the stories and everything. Like I might get it. Uh, I got you. But if you 
But if you tell it to me and I have to write a post about it, like, or, or an article about it or a page about it so that a third party can read it, like, I have to really get it. Because, you know, in sure. text, there is no vagueness. Yeah, it's like, fair. if it says, like, and then kind of like the beard disappears. And people are like, what? But if I say it when I'm talking about it and like dancing when I'm doing it, people are like, yeah, I get it too, but they don't really get it. Gotcha. Um, so by writing it down was a great process for me to actually processing the information. And that's like why, like that's honestly why I run my blog. Like my blog is really like this. Like I'm an angel investor. I invest in a lot of companies. I meet a lot of founders. And like, you know, I have a meeting with somebody. They're saying, how should we run our retail strategy? Like, oh yeah, we should probably do this. And I call another company. How do you run a retail strategy? And like, well, we use Amazon and for this, but then we look retail centers and that's like, okay, but how do you, well, oh, interesting. And like talk more and more about them. And then suddenly after talking to four of them, I was like, hey, maybe I should just write a part article about this. And when I start uh, writing it, I realize I'm completely clueless. I'm like, hmm, okay, I have to do this for real now. And then when I actually write, I have published the article, it's actually, then I feel like I know this now. And, and if, if I was even better at writing it, I think that people would get it to the same extent that I'm getting when I'm writing it. But I at least feel that it's amazing. So I, and I focus a lot on writing on actually the soft subjects. Okay. Like, not actually like, okay, so the process of how do you run a logistics center? Because I think that's so dated. Um, like it's like, yeah, that's amazing now, but in three years it's going to be different. So what I write a lot about is like the process of doing X. You know, like the process of folding a company, like the, the why a company doesn't reach product market fit, or like how it feels not reaching product market fit. What's the process of trying to reach product market fit? Because um, those things, I think, are like eternal subjects. Those are like, it's always going to be a problem because it's how you handle uncertainty. Sure. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's actually really interesting. Do you ever think you'll put, put out a book or write a book? Um, I don't think so because well i don't think so because i think that i think that i i don't think i'm good at it um but again i hey i've got imposter syndrome but i think that i think the problem is that i think that i'm not sure that i could keep a subject like a founder told me three weeks ago said i think your blog post like we had a long he, he flew to sweden uh we had a lot of phone meetings and he said i actually want to fly to sweden and sit down with you like with my co-founder and talk to you because i think you know what we're going through and i was like yeah maybe and we spent a day, and they were like, both of them, like, this is the best thing that ever happened to us, thank you very much. And I was like, I didn't say anything, like, you know, you just, you know, said kind of normal stuff. And then he, like, he looked at my blog, and he said, the problem with your blog is that it's, uh, you're writing, like, link-baited titles, and you're writing really short. It's like, you should read long reads, you should really be serious when you're writing this. Because you're, like, really, like, it feels like you're writing really short, and really, like, to the point, yes, but sometimes you should, like, dwell deeper on this subject. So he said that two weeks ago, and I was like, okay. So I wrote my like one of my first like long reads, uh, without jokes or anything, like just really serious on the subject, and that for me was a big challenge. And that's like a five minute read. Okay. Uh, so like writing a book, I think that if I wrote a book, I would write like you know an, uh, a bunch of novels. It was like you know, it's gonna be a lot of different small blog posts. So I think that I'd love the challenge one day to actually be, like be good enough at doing like research, disposition, planning, and execution to actually write a book about one subject. Okay. Like I, I mean, I'd, I'd really be impressed by myself if I ever did that. That's interesting. So I'm, I'm curious then, like that, the new blog post that's a five minute read, how did it compare to the previous blog posts that are a little bit shorter and maybe with some jokes in it? Like from, from the users that have been reading your blog, did you get any feedback kind of, this is good, better, worse, the same, doesn't really matter? 
I think that what I'm seeing, which is so interesting, is that I think that I see uh, when I write them, write those posts, because I did one before, which was kind of like that. Okay. And I think what I see is that uh, it feels like people are. So one of the things is like I don't ever so 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 like three metrics. Okay. Uh, how many people read the post or like came to the post or whatever, like just traffic, unique visitors. One is like how many people liked it, and then how many people like talk about it. Sure. Not on necessarily the blog, but other places. So I would say like what the thing I found out is how many people visit the blog, even unique visitors, has nothing to do with the quality of the post whatsoever. It's only if it's picked up by something. Like, you know, if it stays on Hacker News first page for like two hours, it gets like 20,000 views. Sure. If it's picked up by some blog, uh, some um, newsletter, it gets 2,000. Whatever. It's like, I can just write like dog poo in a bag and like get it. If I get it on Hacker News for half an hour, it's going to get the same kind of users as like how to actually get traction with your product. Nobody cares. Yeah, yeah. And then I would say the second one is like how many likes. I would say the amount of likes I for every post is almost the same. It's really Interesting. weird. Interesting. And I would say I'm, I I think my reason I think the reason for that is I think that what I why my hypothesis is I never ever write in my post. Can you please you know click like? Come on, dudes, ah, click like. Ah, got you. And I think what happens is I think honestly what I think has happened I think it's almost kind of always the same people that click like. It's the people that are like yeah this is good like. Um, and I can see a small difference in the ones that are like very controversial subjects. Okay. Like if I write something very controversial, it gets like twenty percent higher. Really? But if yeah, but it's like very little difference. Interesting. Um, but then with that last part, which is like how much is it like talked about? Yeah. And that's the ones where I see the long reads are just outperforming it completely. Really? So like if I write wow. something which is like in depth, long read, very serious, then like you know, posting it to Facebook, there's like a massive chat. One of them got on Hacker News, and I wrote about. Um, like how being cash flow positive can be really bad for you. And because I thought about it a lot. And that had like a really long thread on Hacker News where a lot of people talked about it. And some people were like, yeah, he's obviously an investor. Of course, he wants people to like take massive risk. And other people were like, this is exactly what happened to me. Like when this happens, I was like, you're in panic for a long time. And I think the post is really, you know, talking about it in a great way. And that was like very interesting for me feeling that because that's the engagement I'm after. Yeah, totally. And the sad part is only that's the least measurable. So, like, you know, if you just look at the stats page, I would love that all those people just clicked like so I could feel, oh, it was a good post. Interesting. That That's actually quite fascinating to me because a lot of people would say keep your blog post, like, really short and, like, and you found kind of the opposite is more successful. And I think it's a lot of trial and error, I think, and you need to figure out what works for you and push yourself out of your comfort zone. Yeah, exactly. I mean, again, I'm doing it only for one reason. I'm doing it to learn. So sure. for me, like, and it, like what I like about it is that there are two degrees of learning. I mean, learn about the sub- subject and learn about the medium. Sure. So the nice thing is, like, you know, if I learn about the subject, the longer I have to write, the more I have to learn about it. But I think that it's, it, it, it has, like, um, uh, it, it doesn't have, like, a linear return. Like, you know, after a while, you don't learn that much more about it. So, like, I feel like I kind of get it, but maybe more, but I can always do more research. Um, but then um, the other part is, of course, the medium. Sure. Like if somebody says, can't you write long reads? I'm like, yeah, maybe I could. It's like, it's going to be hard. And like another guy said, um, like, why didn't you do this, this post, but just like a tweet storm out of it. I didn't do that because I don't like doing like micro posts of stuff. But I was like, that would be a super interesting challenge for me because like I would be uncomfortable doing it. Interesting. Um, so for me, I'm really trying to find places where it's like, and that's, I think that thanks to the fact that I really have, I really believe that I'm pretty shit at everything. 
Um, the good part of that is like when I'm actually am pretty shit at something, I am actually really, you know, I'm good in that mode. I'm a, I'm a pretty, I find myself sometimes like being an angel investor is I more have problem with it with, um, like I'm more at trouble like going to an event, speaking on stage, being like an angel investor, going down, and then people coming up to me like, Mister, 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 can I talk to you? And I'm like, I'm really uncomfortable doing this. Like I don't know shit what I'm talking about, you know. And they're like, I just can I get two minutes with you? And it's like, yeah, you could, but like I don't know what I'm talking about. Like I'm not gonna show what I'm gonna tell you. I'm much more comfortable when it's like, you know, I talked to the for the Norwegian government like a couple of years ago. They were like, can you explain the freedom economy to us? I was like. Me? <laughs> and I was like, sure. And then, like, you know, I went to Norway to Oslo and explained the Freeman economy to for the government. Like I learned so much. It was really great. That's amazing. That that was really fun. That's fascinating to me. It's interesting though that you still feel that way, right? Because you you've obviously been successful, you've made a ton of money, you've worked for big brands, you've done the startup space, you're you're investing. And that you still feel like that is is really fascinating to me. And I think that's actually almost like really good advice for people because i think no matter where you are in your career you everybody has their insecurities right about something absolutely and i think that the, the i think that you we should be using those insecurities i think that one of my favorite authors is brenna brown uh, her books on vulnerability because i think that the problem we're doing a lot of times is we're not really saying uh like i mean i think that i kind of subscribe to the old like jane fonda like fake it till you make it yeah. uh, belief but I think the problem is like when we're doing that, we're doing the again, the Lego song. Like we're just like, it, I, I really love when people can say, like, I don't really know this. Like one of the things that happened at TAT, like back at the company, we were like, you know, we, we kind of in a way like ran the world of mobile user interface. It was just completely sure. crazy. We were like, and I like, I still can't really get that. Um, yeah. I, tra- I talked actually in the French embassy about the future user interfaces. I was standing, or like, not in the French, um, yeah, whatever, like in the, in, in Paris. I was like, why are you asking me? It was really, it was really, really That's crazy. Amazing, I was though. A French interpreter constantly, and I was like, really confusing. But, but uh, no, what I was going to say was really that I think was was so fascinating was really the fact that um, I think like the whole founders imposter syndrome. I think that you should really be like using it because like the way we did a lot of things at TAT is like we came to a meeting and like we always like downplayed what we did. Like I especially remember like when we started working with Motorola. And we came in and like the first guy was like, hey, finally the experts are here and, you know, very American and like in a nice way in a sense. But we were like, hey, uh, we don't like, you know, come on. And we sat down and the first thing we we're saying, like, yeah, we didn't put a lot of time in this, but like I really want to show you what we kind of started investigating in. And the thing is, we'd spend like four weeks of planning it. Okay. But, you know, we really felt like if we're downplaying it, you know, they're going to be excited. But if we're saying, like, we know what we're talking about, they're going to, like, yeah, we, we hoped it would be more. And every time we needed to, like, really impress people, we always said, you know, I'm Swedish and it's really hard for me to say something is good. I think this is, this is, I think this is pretty okay. But, you know, I'm Swedish. And when people looked there, it was like, oh, you're Swedish. Like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. And they had to be bragging about it. And that also became, like, almost like, you know, a social engineering trick for us a lot of times, downplaying us, using that we're Swedish. And then having the other party to kind of tell us, like, no, this is, come on, you don't know that. You're the best thing ever. Instead of us coming in and saying, we're the best ever, and them going, yeah, there are other people that are really impressive, man. Calm down a bit. Sure. Uh, And it was such a trick, and it worked really nicely with also feeling that a lot of times. Like, one of our counterparties, um, like, I mean, when we... When we came to BlackBerry, the guy that interviewed us, like when we just came, was the guy that designed OSX for Apple. 
uh, with Steve Jobs. That's like, amazing, he met us, right? It was like, hey, like blah blah blah. I'm, I'm Don Lindsay. So we were like, Don Lindsay. We're like, where do I recognize the name? It's like, oh, you run design here. It's like, yeah. What do you do previously? So I designed Vista for 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 um, Microsoft, but then previously I designed OS X with with Steve Jobs. And we're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, like what what do you say to that, right? Yeah, it's like you did a good job. <laughs> <laughs> you completely have, and he was like, I really like what you do, and we're like. Yeah, you're like sign my Mac. <laughs> he, and then he actually, the crazy thing is like when when we then we acquired us, then he moved to Sweden, like he moved to Malmo really? and lived here uh, because like he wanted to be close to the team. And it was just one of those things, like, what you don't you know that we're not that good. And he was like, stop being so Swedish. That's so funny. He was he's actually Canadian though, so he has got some humbleness in him. Yeah, that that's amazing. Well, Hampus, we're we're kind of coming to the end of this, so I think. Maybe let's close the end of the show with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself and, and the blog post that you mentioned uh, earlier. Yeah, so the last, if people want to find like anything I do, it's at hajak.se. And then on Twitter, I'm hajak on SC too. Um, on Twitter too, not .se, so hajak on Twitter. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty easy, easy to find too. Like if somebody pings me on Twitter, I usually reply. Um, and if somebody has an interesting problem to talk about, I'm super happy to talk about it. Well, Hampus, again, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your, your night to be on the show. I, I know it's like evening for you, but I, right. really, I really appreciate you uh, doing this again. No problem at all. All the kids are in bed. Nobody's disturbing me. It's great. <laughs> all right, man. Well, I'll let you go, but you have a good rest of your night, and we'll talk soon. Okay. Talk soon, Timmy. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com. And keep them in the future.